Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Matthew 24, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming unto the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for as for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Let us pause for just a moment of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We pray now as we meditate upon it, as we look at what you have to say to us, that we will come to a realization of what you want us to know about your second coming. May we be of one mind, one spirit, one heart this evening as we worship together, for in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We've all heard the statement, there's nothing certain but death and taxes. And I suppose to a degree that's true, but I would like to add a third one to it. There may be nothing certain as certain as death and taxes, but there is something more certain than either of those two, and that is the certainty of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He will come back. We don't know when that's going to take place, but he will return. And his purpose in returning is to receive from this world those people who belong to him. He will appear in the air and there will be a trumpet sounded from one or more angels announcing that the end of time has come and this whole world will start hopping from the cemeteries all across the world. The bodies will come forth, those that died that were saved and then those that are alive will be transformed and changed and rise up off of this world and meet the Lord in the air. Now that's the long and the short of the second coming of the Lord. The Lord is going to come again. The disciples had heard Jesus speak of this a long time, and it confused them. They were confused like most of us are confused. And in the early history of the church, the people of the church began to say, well, the Lord has not returned. Maybe we misunderstood. Maybe the Lord is not going to come back, and this is all fable, or we have been deceived. 
But the scripture speaks of the second coming of the Lord and prophesies it very definitely in many places, but let me give you just a few of them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, when Jesus ascended and went back to heaven, there was an angel standing there looking at the disciples who had watched him go up. And the angel said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that you have seen go into heaven will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, I think I quoted it exactly without error. This same Jesus that you have seen go will come again. All right. Jesus himself prophesied of this event in John 14, 3, when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now I think again I quoted it exactly. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 16, 27. Let me read this one because I'm not sure I can quote it exactly. The Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father, then he shall reward every man according to his works. Oh, we've added another dimension to his coming. We, he shall reward every man according to his works. Now you know very well that there are lots of people who believe that you're only salvation according you're only saved according to what you do. Fred made very a very good point of this in, in his devotional. We are not saved by our works. We work because we are saved. Can we distinguish the difference? We are not baptized to be saved. We are baptized because we are saved. Only saved people are ever baptized. Amen. We don't join a church to be saved. We join a church because we are saved and the Lord has instructed us to gather ourselves together as His believers. And so the things that we do in our life that would glorify God and point out that we are Christian are done as a result of our salvation, not to obtain our salvation. Amen. The scripture says that we are saved not of works. Why? Because if we were saved by works, we would boast about it. We would all stand up and say, I'm going to heaven because I've done this, 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 and this. And somebody would stand up and say, but I could beat you. I've got a better record because I've done this, 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 and this. And somebody else will stand up and say, but I can outdo you again. And on and on and on we would go, standing up and tooting our own horn to say that we deserve salvation more than anybody else. And this is what man tries to do. Any man that tries to be saved by how good he is or how moral he is is trying to put himself up as the object by which everybody else ought to be compared. This is the ultimate we say to each other. You ought to be like me. You ought to do things the way I do them. 
And that's not what the Lord said at all. The Lord said, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not our works that brings us to that point. So he is going to come and reward us. Now, we're not saved by our works, but we are rewarded because of our works. Let me tell you, we're going to get a blessing from God because of the way we live. Two ways. We're going to get a blessing in this life. We are blessed in this life when we're faithful to God. He will reward us. He will look with favor upon us. And oftentimes we don't even recognize it's happening, but it does happen to us and our lives are blessed because of our faithfulness. Listen, don't get discouraged if you find things going wrong. The more faith you have and determination to follow the Lord Jesus, the more God's going to bless you. But there's the second blessing that's more important than this. And that's the blessing that we get on the day of his return. That's the blessing that we should be looking for. And that's worth working for. Some people accuse us of saying, well, if you're saved by faith and not of works, then why work? You're going to get saved. I'll tell you why work. I'll tell you why be good, why be moral, why go to church, why support the church, why put money into our building fund, why do all the things that we do. I'll tell you why. Because there is a blessing that we're going to personally get. There is a benefit derived from being God's child and doing what he wants done both in this world and at the day of his return. We're going to be blessed when he returns. Well, the disciples said, well, what's the sign of your coming? How can we tell? And this is where people get into all kinds of trouble trying to figure out a sign. The scripture talks about when he comes that his sign is going to appear in heaven. His sign is the cross, and we've spoken of that in times past, and I'm not uh, particularly repeated tonight. If you remember it fine, and, and maybe you weren't here, I don't know. But the scripture says in the 30th verse of this very chapter we're reading, when he shall appear, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. The sign of the Son of Man. I can think of no sign for Jesus Christ other than the cross. I honestly believe that this world will look up someday. They're going to hear a huge noise sounding like a trumpet blowing. And everybody is going to look up to see from which it came all over this world. And when they look up, they're going to see something. And what they're going to see is the cross. The sign that Jesus is returning. Well, he gave us other signs. For example, he said in Matthew, the 24th chapter, well, the same chapter we're in, verses 37 through 42. He says that, the, that this day is going to be as the days of Noah. Well, now, how were the days of Noah? Well, he describes them in the 38th verse. As in days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. In other words, life is going to go on as normal. Everybody's going to be doing the normal thing until the flood came and took them away. He goes on in verse 40, two shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. You know that very verse has been used in days gone by before science discovered that the world was round and the sun uh, was on one side of the world and there was daylight, and on the other side of the world it was dark when people didn't know that. 
And they say, look at there, the scripture's wrong. It's talking about that, that there's going to be somebody asleep in bed and somebody awake, and that can't possibly be. It's not going to be daylight and dark at the same time. Oh, yes, it is. It's daylight and dark at the same time. Somewhere in the world tonight, it's dark right now. Somewhere else, the sun's coming up. There's that continuation. You see, the scripture's never wrong. There is not a statement in the Bible that has ever been proven wrong, regardless of what it is. Even if it's a scientific fact that we do not comprehend, such as this was, a scientific fact, the Bible ultimately has been proven to be right. And science has had to renew and revise its thinking in order to bring it into compliance with what the Bible has to say. So, he also says that there are going to be scoffers over in 2 Peter, and there shall come in the last day scoffers walking about in their own lusts, saying, when is the promise of his coming? For all things continue as they were from the beginning, but the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. When is he going to come? Just like a thief comes when you never expect him. If you knew that a thief was going to break into your house, you'd be waiting at the front door with your shotgun already cocked. And why aren't you waiting? Because you don't have the slightest idea when he's coming. You don't think he's going to. So it's locked in the cabinet and the shelves are locked up where they ought to be. We don't anticipate it. The Lord is going to return the same way. When we think not, the Lord shall return. As a matter of fact, he calls it in the fullness of time. It's just like childbirth. Those of you who have born children, I can only speak from secondhand experience, you understand, but, I, but the way I have understood it is all of a sudden the pain is there and you know the child is about to be born. A split second before, you didn't know that. And then it's there. Do you know the second birth is the same way? First, you're not born. Then all of a sudden you're born physically. The same thing is true spiritually. A person is, is not born. And then all of a sudden he is born into the kingdom of God. A totally new birth. In the fullness of time, the Lord Jesus is going to return. Well, let me go to one last thought. There's lots of things going to happen when this takes place. There's going to be the resurrection of the dead in Christ who are in the grave. There's going to be the change of the physical body from it being mortal like it is now, flesh and blood. It's going to be changed into an immortal body like Jesus' body after the resurrection. There's going to be a reward as we've already talked for our labors. As Revelation 22:12 says, Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. There's going to be a reunion of the people on earth who are saved with the people who have died and gone to heaven. You talk about a family reunion. Brethren, there's going to be a family reunion that day like we've never seen. I am fully expecting and excited about seeing both my grandfathers particularly. There's nobody in this world, nobody in heaven besides the Lord Jesus, that I want to see worse than my two grandfathers. And one of them particularly.
And I would follow that quickly with an uncle that I wanted to see. I have tremendous reunion. But listen, this is going to be a day of sadness as well. And let me close with this thought. What about those who aren't saved? Who have never given their heart to the Lord Jesus? I'll tell you what, they're going to stay right here. On this earth. If they're dead, they're going to stay in a grave. If they're alive, they're going to go through seven years of the worst torment that this world has ever seen. And during that seven-year period, multitudes of those are going to die as well because of the tremendous tribulation. The fate of the unsaved. Listen to these words from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, and listen to how he's coming, in flaming fire, taking vengeance against them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we've got the other side of the coin. The Lord is going to return for the purpose of receiving his people. But he's also coming as a, a vengeful person, uh, as if he were shooting flames of fire to take vengeance against those who have rejected him. A day of vengeance as well as a blessed day of glory when we see the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are not saved, a tremendous day of vengeance. And what's going to happen? He goes on to say, and who shall punish, who shall be punished with everlasting punishment, everlasting punishment from the presence of the Lord. Now that, I believe, sums it up in a nutshell. We have been talking last week and this morning a little bit as well about the fact that God is a God of love, but listen, if he's a God of love, he's also a God of hate, for he hates sin. He hates that which is contrary to his will. And we talked this morning that if God is a God of love, he's also a God of anger. He got angry with Solomon, and he gets angry with us. And the scripture says that he is going to take out vengeance upon those people who have rejected him. God will be angry with this world. It'll only take seven years for this world to be destroyed because of the anger of God against it. There was a parable that Jesus gave us of the virgins, friends of a bridegroom who went to get his bride. In the New Testament days, they had their weddings at night. The bridegroom would go to the home of the bride, however distant it might be, and get her and bring her back to a tremendous feast. And his friends went out along this roadside with their lanterns to, to uh, light the way when they heard him coming. And some of those people who were there along the roadside got up to trim their lamps and discovered that they had no oil in their lamps. This is salvation in our terms. Then the bride and the groom and those that were ready for the feast went inside the building, the scripture says the door was shut. And those that were very foolish came knocking at the door and said, let us in, let us in, let us in. And the man at the door said, the door is shut, you don't get in. This has been a practice 
in almost all weddings. That is, if you come late, you don't get in once the ceremony is started. It ought to be that way. Nobody should interrupt a wedding coming in late. I think nobody should interrupt a funeral coming in late. But it does happen. In that day, it was the law. If you weren't there on time, the door was shut and you didn't get in. And it is simply to teach us this fact, that when God shuts the door, when the invitation is extended and it is not accepted, and the Lord Jesus Christ returns, and when the door is shut, brethren, you're not going to get in. Today is the day of salvation, says the scripture. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not a Christian, if you are wayward, whatever the needs in our lives might be, we need to make those decisions. We need to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think we as a church need to be keenly aware of the fact that we need to live every day as if today is the day that the Lord will return because the day is going to come when it will be that day. And it might very well be July the 3rd. 1988 and it could very well be July the 4th and the firecrackers that go off tomorrow won't be the celebrations of uh, this country it will be the trumpet of the Lord sounding and saying time shall be no more the door is shut are you ready are you prepared to go in to the feast have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ listen it's very simple and the girls did a tremendous job in outlining it and the little girl on the tape certainly concluded it well. It's a simple little thing of praying the sinner's prayer and say, Lord, forgive me my sins and save my soul. Because you see, salvation is not something we do. Salvation is something we accept as a gift. God does it. God does it. He did it by giving his son on the cross of Calvary. So we're here tonight to celebrate that. Praise God for dying for us and to anticipate his return. But if you're not prepared for that day, we invite you simply in your own heart, in your own life, to say yes to Jesus Christ. And then we're going to ask you to do one more thing. When you've said yes to Jesus in your heart, said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, save my soul. The scripture tells us that we've got to let people know about it. And that's why we always ask people to get out of the seat and come forward in church service. And by coming forward... That is a statement of your faith. And you have told the world. Jesus said, he that is ashamed of me, of him will I be ashamed. If you're too ashamed to accept Christ in public, you're not going to get into heaven with that kind of faith. Because he's going to be ashamed. I'll be there. Well, quick, this is the story of the second coming. Let us bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.